3: Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 106th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast.
2: Ghost tours for the theater of the mind.
3: I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. You sound a little under the weather.
2: Um, I've been battling a little bit of some sort of something. I see you brought that back with you. Don't give it to me. I think it might be allergies, but it could be something else.
3: Either way, you've got the sexy voice going on this time.
2: Oh, really? So you think I sound sexy? <laughs> well, on
3: this episode, we are going to be going back up to New England, back to Massachusetts, and pretty darn close to Plymouth. This was suggested by one of our History ghost bump research crew, and she also helped us with the research, Diane Moores, and that is the Faring Tavern. And this place does appear to be quite haunted, at least according to the guys over at Spooky South Coast. I don't know how many people tune into that podcast. I have listened to it occasionally myself, and I've heard them mention this a few times, but I guess I just had kind of forgotten about it until Diane, who has an awesome name, by the way, uh, reminded me about it. They've picked up a lot of evidence there, so we're going to share that with you this evening along with the histories there. Before we do that, we'd like to point you over at our website, historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if anybody wants to send us some feedback, where can they do that?
2: They can do that at historygoesbump at com. We got a message from Mariessa
3: about our Lucille Ball show. Oh, good. She said that her mom named their dog Lucy. And she said, because with a face like that, it had some splaining to do.
2: Or so that they, when they called it, they could go. Lucy,
3: <laughs> oh <I'm sorry>. Lucy! <laughs> Thank
2: you for doing that. Since my voice broke, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'm just going through puberty.
3: And then Coilette over at Twitter had said that "At Midnight" is filmed on the old "I Love Lucy" stage, and she had wondered if they'd had any experiences. That'd be mm-hmm. interesting to find out because you know, she's haunting apparently the old Desilu Studios, so maybe the stage
2: too. Absolutely
3: inquiring minds want to know. Bob did a fabulous thing for us, Denise. We've got it over at the top of the Spooktacular Crew group page on Facebook, and I am going to get it up on the website. He went into Google Maps, and he mapped out all of the locations that we've covered so
2: far. And it is very, very cool. So I definitely recommend that our listeners go take a look at that.
3: And it was a lot of work because not only did he put the little arrows there, but he's got descriptions and stuff and just really, really appreciate Bob doing that for us.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of little red, what do you call those, bubbles or markers all over the map? Little red
3: arrows. (laughs) And he said pretty soon we won't even be able to see the map for all of that.
2: Yeah, it was really fun to look
3: at. We did notice by looking at that map that we have neglected Mexico and South America. We haven't done anything in those locations. So we definitely will be looking at doing... A couple of places at least for those locations. We did have one set up for Columbia. A guy that Denise worked with had been to Columbia. He's Colombian. And he'd done a ghost tour there and got us a book and everything while he was there. And we had him scheduled to come in studio. And then he had to work. And we just haven't rescheduled it. So we will definitely get on that. And we wanted to let you guys all know that we have registered for the... Haunted America Conference, which is hosted by Troy Taylor. It's going to be June 24th to the 25th in Alton, Illinois. It only costs 50 bucks and you can register if you would like to join us there at americanspookshows.com. And they also have a ghost tour that they're doing in Alton. It's a walking tour on that Saturday evening. We have registered for that. And we also are going to be going into St. Charles on that Friday night and doing the ghost tour in uh, the downtown area of St. Charles. So if you would like to join us for that, let us know so that we can make sure that you get your name on the list to join us for doing that. If you want to go to the Haunted America Conference, you just go to AmericanSpookShows.com and register there. And that's when you go ahead and put in to get the walking tour for that Saturday evening as well.
2: Yes, and so, so far it looks like we may have three or more listeners joining up to date. Register, everyone, because <laughs> we want to meet you.
3: We want to welcome into the Spooky Crew, and I hope I say this right, Sarash Kitchen. Hello, Sarash Kitchen.
2: Corey. Hey, Corey. Harrison. Hi, Harrison. Alex. Hey, Alex. Sean. Hi, Sean. Marie. Hey, Marie. And Liz. Hello, Liz.
3: Denise, are you ready to go back up to New England and have a wicked good time? I certainly am.
0: Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com.
3: History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This
2: Moment in Oddity. This Moment in Oddity is suggested to us by several listeners. There's a wonderful little town just outside of San Francisco that is full of old world charm. There are only 1,400 residents and the architecture is Spanish, Mediterranean, and design. The streets are paved in brick and lined with ornamental lights. The town is Colma, and it's a wonderful little city with a small municipal government. It's even caught the attention of the New York Times that described Colma as more necropolis than metropolis. Wait, what? Indeed, the city of Colma has been dubbed the City of Souls, and the reason why is that the dead far outnumber the living here. While there are 1,400 residents, there are 1.5 million dead. There are 16 cemeteries here. As we know from studying haunted history, many cemeteries have been moved or bulldozed over because they sit on prime real estate. For San Francisco, this was a real problem. They passed an ordinance in 1900 that outlawed the building of any more cemeteries due to property values rising. It was just cost prohibitive. San Francisco went further in 1912 by evicting all the dead and closing down the cemeteries. Colma was originally known as Lawndale and it was incorporated in 1924 as a necropolis. The dead were relocated and more cemeteries were opened. Most living residents were employed in relation to the cemeteries. The city took on the name Colma in 1941 and slowly the city grew and diversified. Some notable dead residents include Wyatt Earp, William Randolph Hearst, Levi Strauss, Joe DiMaggio, and Manson family murder victim Abigail Folger. The city's motto is, It's great to be alive in Colma. Now that certainly is odd.
3: Afraid of the dark. That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. (laughs) This day in history. On this day, February 19th, in 1847, rescuers reached the Stranded Donner Party. In the summer of 1846, a group of emigrants decided to head west to find their fortunes. There were 89 of them, and 31 of those people were members of the Reed and Donner families, for whom the group has been named. They set out in a wagon train from Springfield, Illinois. The group made it safely to Wyoming, and they decided to try a new route called the Hastings Cutoff. George Donner became the captain of the group and he led them through their shortcut, which turned out to not be a shortcut. It actually added three weeks travel time. They met up with other hardships and did not reach the Sierra Nevadas until October. The group set up camp near Truckee Lake, which later became known as Donner Lake. An early winter storm came through and blocked their path through the mountains. They were stranded and their supplies were dwindling since their travel time had extended past what they had planned. The Donner family and a few others decided to travel onward and they made it six miles before they had to set up another camp. Tents were made from wagons. Eventually, the oxen had to be killed for food. In December, a group decided to go for help. Fifteen of them set out for Sutter's Fort near San Francisco. The expedition was plagued with problems, and several members finally resorted to cannibalism to survive, as did the emigrants still back at camp. Only seven survivors managed to reach a Native American village. The news reached Sutter's Fort, and they sent a rescue party. They reached the group at Truckee Lake on February 19th. The return trip was rough and took until April. Of the 89 immigrants who originally set out with the Donner Party, only 45 made it to California. You're listening to History Goes Bump.
2: The Faring Tavern is located in the Massachusetts coastal town of Wareham in the southeastern portion of the state. The town is bordered by Buzzards Bay and Cape Cod Bay and is considered the gateway to Cape Cod. The fact that the town was situated near rivers and coastline made it prime real estate for European settlement. The area is rich in colonial history and the tavern itself dates back hundreds of years the tavern is considered by paranormal investigators to be one of the most haunted locations on the south coast. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Faring Tavern. In
3: 1678, the first Europeans began to settle the area that would later become the town of Wareham. This was on the heels of King Philip's War that we discussed in our Plymouth episode. That was an armed conflict between the Native Americans and English colonists, and if people will recall, King Philip was not actually the king of England. It was the Native American chief who had taken on the name King Philip so that he would sound more European. And I believe, Denise, the way that went is that his father had been friends with the colonists at that time, and they'd worked to help each other, and some bad blood ended up happening, and things got changed up when it came time for King
2: Philip to be in charge. That's how I remember it as well.
3: So we encourage you guys to check out our Plymouth episode where we were more detailed about that and a lot of the stuff that was going on in Plymouth at that time. Wareham was incorporated in 1739. It was named for the European town of Wareham. And a little fun fact is that Wareham is home to the Tremont Nail Factory, which is the oldest nail manufacturer in the
2: United States. You hit that one right on the head, Diane. Denise, (laughs) I think you've been having too much uh, Benadryl. Before Wareham was an official town, a man named Isaac Bump, who ran the local grist mill, moved to the area and built the original structure that would become the future Faring Tavern. The year was 1693. The home had four rooms, and plans for incorporating the city of Wareham were conducted here. In 1747, Israel Faring purchased the house and made plans to expand the property. His son Benjamin took ownership, and built the white clapboard Georgian colonial style house that still stands today. The property remained in the hands of the Faring family for 200 years. It was in 1765 that the home opened as a tavern. In the 1820s, Benjamin's son added a new bedroom and kitchen to the house.
3: We do have a couple of pictures in the show notes that Diane Moore shared with us and it gives you a, a- good feel for it. What's unique about the tavern is that the white clapboard is only on part of the house. And then so it's like the other part of the house has this brown shingle look to it. So it's just interesting. I don't know why they didn't make the whole thing white clapboard. I don't know if there was a particular reason for that or not. I didn't read anywhere about that. And then I read a little tongue-in-cheek. I think that it was written by... One of the guys over at Spooky South Coast, but they made the observation. For people who haven't seen how the name Fearing Tavern is spelled, it actually looks like Fearing. So it's F E A R I N G. And the man who originally built the first structure's last name was Bump. So it kinda goes with fearing, bump, hauntings, ha 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 that ha, ha. kind of go together. <laughs> And that family name Bump sometimes comes up as Bumpus as well, if you do any genealogical searches on that. The Faring family was rumored to have had loyal ties to England during the 1700s. But conflicting local information states that members of the family were patriots during the American Revolution. So it's kind of hard to know which side they were on, because local history reveals that the tavern was frequented by British soldiers. So was it just the process of we serve whoever comes in? Was it we're going to serve them to protect our own hides? Or was it we're serving them and helping them out because we're loyal to the crown? We're not quite sure. But what we do know is that when it comes to the paranormal activity, some of the things that are observed are full-bodied apparitions of British soldiers. So they definitely were around here. And rumors have persisted to this day that the fairings had hidden British soldiers in the house. Because one of the unique features about this house is that there's a lot of unique features to this house. It's set up very, it's very unusual. There's, (laughs) it's hard to describe. We do have a video that Jeff Belanger made and it's in the show notes as well. And as he was taking a tour of it, there would be these little, I don't know what you would call it, Denise, but there's like a hole in the wall that had a little door that, like a hinged door with it. And so you would like open these up and you could step into another room. It was just weird. It's like, why would people build something that way? Unless, of course, you were trying to hide something or hide people.
2: That, that would be my suspicion is that it was a hiding place.
3: Exactly. And so were they hiding British soldiers there? Were they hiding somebody else? We don't know. But the rumors seem to lean more towards the fairings were helping out the British a little bit. Of course, they held on to this home for 200 years. So obviously their loyalties didn't stay there because they didn't go back over to Europe or anything. Now, the other interesting thing that comes up with this location is that it also is a place where the Underground Railroad came through. I always find it fascinating when you find these places up north because that's pretty far north to have an Underground Railroad area. Because generally speaking, the Underground Railroad was to help get you past the cutoff point between the north and the south. And so you would think in Massachusetts you really wouldn't need that kind of a cutoff point, but obviously you did. And I'm wondering how much of these quote unquote hiding places were built specifically for the Underground Railroad rather than to hide British soldiers. That's a good point. What, what though, happened yeah. when?
2: Yeah, very, very good point. Maybe it wasn't so friendly in the North when the slaves actually got freed, too.
3: What I'm thinking is these slaves were making their way to Canada, and if they were going all the way to Canada, there was probably a reason why. Maybe they were being treated a little bit better up there, because even though you made it to freedom in the North, it wasn't necessarily freedom. (laughs) I mean, you were not a slave, but you also may not necessarily have been able to have a lot of
2: rights or anything either. Or they might not have had any jobs available because they had already started moving from manpower more to new innovations and stuff up north
3: that's true that's why the south was really hurting economically was because they couldn't keep up with the fact that there was a lot of machining and the industrial revolution was really taking off at that point and the south was kind of in the the dark ages with keeping to the slave labor several of these secret rooms and passages can still be seen in the faring tavern to this day And it is one of the highlights of paranormal investigations because, obviously, when we're looking at this kind of stuff, we like to look at odd things like that. Legend has it that over 200 British soldiers stopped at the tavern for spirits and a bite to eat before heading out to burn down a local cotton factory. Now, that
2: would not go over too well, I don't think.
3: No, and and that makes it look like you might have been helping the quote-unquote enemy, (laughs) depending upon what side you were on with the Revolutionary
0: War. In Puerto Rico... We call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua.
2: The Faring Tavern served many purposes over the years. It was a stage stop on the route to Boston. It was a one-room schoolhouse in 1825, an old Methodist meeting house in 1835, the Union Chapel in 1880, a courthouse and a post office for the town of Wareham. The tavern was restored in 1958 and boasts 16 rooms. The building is now owned by the Wareham Historical Society and is uninhabited. It is run as a museum during the summer months and is open to the public for touring. The museum contains period artifacts and antiques, some of which have been donated by the faring family. Guided tours are offered of the museum, a creepy doll room, antique rocking chair, family Bible, and secret tunnel under the street add mystery to the centuries-old tavern. And then there are the hauntings.
3: The interesting thing, Denise, is this was a stagecoach stop. We have been hitting a lot of those that are haunted. Seems like we've done several shows where there's been a place that's either a train stop or a stage stop, and they're haunted.
2: So what does that have to say about our transportation department in the United States?
3: I don't know. It makes you wonder. I guess it'd be kind of a rough ride, so I don't know. (laughs) Just interesting, I thought. Of course, there were a lot of stage stops out there. That would be something interesting to investigate is just how many stage stops there were because maybe there was just a lot of them. And
2: so that's why it seems like so many of them are haunted. That's true. And a lot of people going back and forth to different locations back in historical times didn't make it because it was very, very dangerous. Well,
3: yeah, if you think about it, a lot of those stage coaches got robbed. Author Michael Markowitz's book titled EVP Electronic Voice Phenomenon Massachusetts Ghostly Voices details over 50 EVPs collected during one such investigation at the tavern. Examples of EVPs include a German-accented voice saying, Zadik. Did I say that as a German? Zadik. I'm sure. And a little girl saying, Want to play dress up?
2: That's a little creepy, but we'll go with it.
3: The strangest capture featured the following conversation between two male voices. Hey, Ashford, I killed Grandpa Ash. I just knew you'd feel the pain and a voice states in reply, then consider it a gift. So it makes you wonder, who was Grandpa Ash? And Ashford, I'm thinking, was named after him? Just
2: weird. Was somebody confessing to murder on an EVP there? Um, it sounds like it. The tavern has had numerous paranormal groups conduct investigations which have yielded EVPs, apparitions, and unexplained happenings. Well-known paranormal author Jeff Belanger has included the Faring Tavern in several of his books, and the Wareham Historical Society holds an annual Haunted History Night, which includes tours of the tavern as well as other buildings in the area. A 30-minute YouTube video by Jeff Belanger features a tour of the building, highlights many of the rooms and areas where paranormal activity has been observed. Light orbs and EVPs were recorded and are visible on the video. Local paranormal investigators have documented many unexplained occurrences and consider this tavern one of the most active places in the area. The Ferrying Tavern continues to lure investigators every summer, hoping to witness something paranormal or at least unexplainable.
3: But it's more than just those who are seeking ghosts that have had experiences at Ferrying Tavern. A young girl on a school field trip to the tavern claimed that she saw a female specter sitting in a rocking chair knitting. A newspaper reporter toured the tavern one evening and was startled by several shadowy figures that seemed to be following her. She wasn't sure there was anything to the shadow figures until a gray mist began to form before her eyes, and then it started to approach her. Women in period dress have been seen by multiple visitors. Disembodied noises of horses and carriages are heard outside of the tavern, and I always think of those things as being more of a residual, so that would be your stagecoaches pulling up to it.
2: I bet you you're right. Nothing tragic seems to have happened at the Faring Tavern. The property has not passed through many hands. So why is there some kind of paranormal activity taking place at this location? Is it just that family members who have passed away are unwilling to leave in the afterlife? Did British soldiers die near the tavern during the Revolutionary War, and now they've come here in the afterlife looking for the comfort they found in life? is the Ferry and Tavern haunted? That is for you to decide.
3: This one I am just really not sure of. I guess part of the issue that I have is since it's just this one group that seems to have focused their investigations on this place, it's hard to know for sure if we had other groups coming in from other places, although we have had the little girl and the reporter who saw things. So I don't know. I just, whenever you have hauntings in a location, you want to know why. And I can't figure out what the why is here because there's not, obviously since it's an older home, you have to assume that some people did die in it of old age. I don't know. When you die peacefully of old age, I always wonder why would you still be here kind of thing. So I don't know. It's hard to know with this one. It is a very cool looking colonial building and it dates back hundreds of years. So that's very cool for us because in America we don't have a lot of old buildings and you do have to pretty much go to the east coast if you want to get to something that's 200 plus years old and so it would definitely be a cool thing to check out. I wish we had known about it before we were up there so we could have gone to to have a look at it.
2: I know that would have been super cool.
3: You know talking about the orbs that they have caught in the video made me think about that picture that you showed me yesterday Denise. There's a picture that Denise can't share with the audience because it's got cast members in it but they were two pictures that were taken back to back same group of people it was like snap snap in one of the pictures in front of one of the girls is a very clear looking orb and it it's different than other orbs that i've seen pictures because usually they kind of have a dull look to them this one almost seemed like it was shiny as if it was
2: um a bubble yeah, and it almost had like a ring, a darker ring around the outside and mm-hmm. then like a little nucleus right in the middle.
3: Exactly. Makes you think that if you zoomed in on it you might see something, but anytime you zoom in on something and it gets pixelated, it's hard to know. Right. But it just was a very unique looking orb and since they were back to back pictures taken, it, you know, makes you wonder, was it just some dust? Was it something else? So of course that made me ask Denise, "Well, Is the Polynesian Village Resort
2: haunted? That is for them to decide.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You're not allowed to spread rumors?
2: No, I would never spread rumors.
3: I'll, I'll let you know. There seems to be a couple of things causing some activity there. So is it possible that there was something that jumped into the picture? Maybe. On our next show, we are going to be heading over to the Franklin Battlefield. So we're going to have another battlefield, Denise.
2: Battlefields are definitely a high activity point. And for good reason, of course. Yes. Well, there's just so many emotions during the battle. You have not only people who are dying and in pain, but you have all the fear that I'm sure is there, all the fear, anger, you know, everything, doubt, that would just be stirring everything up. So it's no surprise that battlefields are haunted.
3: And we did want to point... People at a new podcast out there that uh, we were discussing in the Spooktacular crew, Heather had pointed us at it, called Legends, Myths, and Whiskey.
2: Legends, Myths, and Whiskey. They're all, I guess, have spirits attached to them? (laughs) I guess.
3: It's actually a really good show that incorporates all three of those things. And even if you're a teetotaler like we are, you can enjoy that. And then we have a couple of reviews to share. Five stars from Scrappy Z. There's something fantastic happening here. Disclaimer, I downloaded iTunes just to write this review because these ladies are just that good. And that's in caps. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. I only recently got into podcasts and found myself starting to get bored with the selections and content. That's when I found Diane and Denise with their quirky show. This is the best part of my day. History is... History is rich as it is, and combining it with the paranormal is nothing new, but it's the way they do it that makes it special. It's personal yet professional, and they do a great job at holding your interest episode after episode while covering the same general subject over and over. As someone who is easily distracted, it is no easy feat to hold my attention, but I find myself jumping at my phone while the outro music plays to quickly get to the next episode. They're also extremely interactive on their Facebook group. It's evident that they love what they do here, and I feel lucky to be part of this with them. I cannot recommend the show enough. Well, thank you, Scrappy. We appreciate that.
2: Thank you, and I love that we're quirky. I like that word.
3: Exactly. It, it, it fits for us because we like oddities and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. We were contacted by an app creator to do some audio walking tours, which we've been working on, and one of the things he said is that he would love it if we added in quirky and odd-type things that you couldn't get in the normal tour and i went oh not a problem
2: yes yeah, because miss diane is the queen of quirk
3: <laughs> so get ready we will be announcing when some of those come up and are ready to go we're very excited to share them with everybody i think we're going to be doing three of them for saint augustine alone
2: and it's going to be so much fun when people are like oh i would love to have a haunted histories tour and we can say oh there's an app for that <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
3: Megaloth five stars always interesting I heard about this podcast from the Big Seance podcast well thank you Patrick we appreciate that a few months back I checked out the recent at the time episodes and liked the format quick intro interesting and weird stories not necessarily paranormal in nature and finally the main topic of the show I eventually went back and listened to the archive show and ran across ones about places my wife and I have spent the night at we honeymooned at the Stanley Hotel and spent our anniversaries at the Crescent Hotel Lemp Mansion and the Villisca X murder House now that's what. they get a little bit on the oddity side, <laughs> all of which we had experiences in, such as EVPs, doors shutting, items being moved or missing from the room, and voices coming from unoccupied rooms. It was nice hearing the history and reliving our stays at those places. I work graveyard shift and catch up on podcasts at that time. A couple thirty to forty minute episodes is just perfect. The sound and production quality is great, so I'm not sure why people rag on that unless they just listen to an early episode. Diane and Denise have a great podcast, and it's one that I never miss or skip over. Great job, gals. Well, thank you for tuning in, especially on the graveyard shift. You know that's when stuff happens. Absolutely. I remember, did you ever watch that Stephen King movie where it had the rats? Um, that one I did not see. Oh, and they get caught in the cotton, whatever, thrasher, or whatever it was. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Corey Untalan, and I hope I said that right, and Laura Early. And thank you to Ashley Davis for upping your pledge. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you.
2: Be sociable, drop the chain rattling, neck biting and shape shifting and
0: join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us.
2: Societies rise
0: and societies fall. When the time comes... One Society steps forward to build a
2: better future.
0: The Wicked Library. Kettle Whistle Radio. Night Story Podcast. Prog Watch. Red Horse Radio. The Lift. History Goes Bum. Listen. The M Writing Podcast. Society 13. Rebuilding Society One podcast At a time